Let us take a moment to pray before we think about God's Word. Holy Spirit, come among us and soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to follow after Jesus and hear His voice. Come, Holy Spirit, with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, two of the places where Jill and I like to holiday the most are Northern Ireland and up north, particularly west of Inverness. But to get to either of those locations requires quite a long drive. And for many years, I've really wanted to have a car that had cruise control. Um, because the idea of not having to worry about speed cameras, not having to worry about the accelerator, just being able to sit back and enjoy the drive, oh, that just sounds really good to me. <laughs> not being able to have to worry about those things. But as yet, no cruise control in a car. Maybe uh, in a couple of years, when whoever the car eventually dies, um, that'll be the time for that feature. And similarly, I wonder if there are times in our faith journey where we wish we could have cruise control where our following after Jesus would just be that little bit simpler if you could switch on the cruise control. So it was a little bit smoother, easier, just enjoyable. How good would that be? No? Am I the only one that might like that from time to time? And our, our passage today reminds us that we can't just put on the cruise control, that a fruitful life does not happen that way. At this point in Luke's gospel, um, we're beginning to see that Jesus is becoming very popular, and big crowds are gathering around him, but Jesus discerns it's the time for a bit of a challenge now, because he's looking for more than superficial faith. He's looking for followers who are open and receptive to his teaching about the kingdom of God. Because let's remember at the time Jesus came, the Jews were looking and hoping for a Messiah to come, a political and military Messiah who would come and be king and get rid of the Romans. But Jesus, if you go back and look at chapter 4, makes it very clear that now is not the time of God's vengeance. It is not the time. He is Messiah, but he's not the Messiah they expect. And so this is part of the reason why he teaches in parables. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. And when Jesus speaks here of the secrets of the kingdom, he's referring to what was there in the Old Testament, but everybody was just overlooking it because they were expecting that political and military Messiah. And yet now Jesus is revealing the truth of it. The truth that was there still in the Old Testament, that the Messiah would come to serve and to die, and that the invitation to be part of his kingdom would be for everyone, not just the select few in the Jewish nation. But that didn't fit with the expectations of the people of his day. And they refused, especially the religious leaders, but others beside, refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, even though his miracles and his teaching should have made it really quite clear. And so he teaches in parables. 
He teaches in parables for two reasons, to show their hardness of heart, but also to, to keep their, their idea of him being this political and military messiah just on down low, uh, rather than it gaining traction. And we saw that in our last series on grace. But it's only for a time. It was only for a time. Jesus doesn't want to cloud his identity forever. Otherwise, he wouldn't give the disciples the explanation of the parable, and we wouldn't be teaching upon it this morning. And so, Jesus does want people to understand who he is, does want us to teach in it, does want us to understand the parable, so that even today, just as in his day, there would be followers who are open and receptive to his teaching about the kingdom, rather than just being superficial followers. And so, he gives us the parable of the soils. And it probably should be called the parable of the soils because the focus is not on the sower and it's not on the seed, it's on the soils and on how receptive the soils are to the seed sown by the sower. And there are four types of soil. There's the footpath soil, which is what my daughter called it this morning in the early morning service, and she was all shy and bashful about it. I was like, Hope, have you been reading my notes? She hadn't. She's only four, so <laughs> that couldn't happen. Footpath soil, and rocky soil, and thorny soil, and good soil. And Jesus gives an explanation for each of those soil types. The first one, he says, the seed is the Word of God, and those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, because of our propensity nowadays for the supernatural and for um, superstars and for superheroes like in Marvel, we get kind of attracted to one word, the devil, don't we? Uh, and because we'd rather blame others than look in ourselves, again, we get attracted to this word, and this is what we want to, to focus on in this verse, maybe. But the focus is not actually on his part in this, because he couldn't do anything if the soil first wasn't hard. And so the focus is on the soil, that the soil is hard, and it cannot receive the seed and become embedded in the soil, and so grow. And in Jesus' day, that was most often seen in the religious leaders, but many others besides, those who would not receive Jesus, would not receive His teaching, would not receive Him and believe His message. And I wonder, friends, are any of us here or at home, does this describe us? Do we refuse to believe the teaching about Jesus? and we keep him at arm's length with a hard heart. Then there's a second type. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Here Jesus describes a superficial heart, a superficial response to the word. And yes, they start with great enthusiasm and passion, but there's no depth. And because there's no depth, they're not able to sustain their faith, particularly when things get hard and following Jesus gets hard. And I wonder if that describes any of us, friends. Did you maybe pray a prayer? Could have been in your teens. Could have been much later, maybe one of the prayers that I've led us in, but it's not really led to very much. Now, I am not going to stop giving people an opportunity to pray a prayer. 
I think that's a really important first step. But the proof of faith is fruitfulness. It's a life lived in faith. And so it's not enough just to say a prayer. It's not enough just to become a member of a church. So is this you? Is this your faith, your heart? Is it superficial? Seed three describe those that fell among thorns, which stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And what Jesus is describing here is a divided heart, a divided heart. And again, there's initial positive response to the teaching of Jesus, and maybe it lasts a bit longer than the the, uh, superficial heart, but eventually the worries of, of life the pleasures and riches, they they grow up like weeds, and they stifle it, and they overwhelm faith, and eventually, again, faith withers. Is that you, friends? Is that you? Is faith withering? Or have we the potential of the fourth soil, which was described this way? The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Do you have the potential of the fourth soil? Do you have the potential of the fourth soil? Because it's only seen over time. Fruitfulness is never achieved overnight. And so the focus is on our response over a lifetime, maybe most properly seen at the end of life when you look back over all your days of faith. Is that you, friends? Are you continuing in faith with Jesus, holding on even amidst the difficulties? And as you look back over your life, do you see signs of fruitfulness? So which type of heart or soil are you? Are you a hard heart, a superficial heart, a crowded heart, or a heart that has a potential for fruitfulness? Are you on your way to bearing a great harvest? And you know, maybe as we think about that, we might begin to worry. We might think, I feel like my faith is drying up, or I feel like my faith is being crowded out, maybe especially by worries. Or I'm struggling to persevere to the end. Or you maybe look back and you're thinking, where is the fruitfulness in my life? Where is the fruitfulness? But you know, Jesus doesn't share this parable to condemn you. And he doesn't share it to say that what you are is always what you must be. Because he shares it to issue an invitation. He wants you to recognize your heart. But by recognizing that, he wants to give you an invitation to have some heart surgery. Because Jesus is in the business of healing and changing hearts. Let's remember what he said earlier in the Gospel of Luke. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, we're all sick with sin. Every one of us, we always have been And until we go to glory, we always will be. Sin will always be an influence in our lives. But Jesus is in the business 
of changing hearts, bit by bit, year upon year, so that we can be fruitful, bear fruit to the glory of His name. So what type of heart are you, friends? What type of heart are you? And are you on your way to being a fruitful heart? Because Jesus invites you to have Him as part of your life and change your heart that we might be fruitful. And I reckon many of us yearn for that. We might be withering in our faith. We might be struggling in our faith. We might feel like our faith has been overcrowded. Or we might just want to be fruitful so that Jesus is glorified. I think in part of us, there's, there's that yearning. And so in the rest of the time remaining to us, I want to look at two things. Firstly, what is fruitfulness? What are we talking about here? And the second is, well, how to become more fruitful? What is fruitfulness and how to become fruitful? And fruitfulness is described in the New Testament in these ways. It's described as good deeds, generosity, a godly character, the fruit of the Spirit, it's knowledge and praise of God, and sharing our faith. Now, I know there's a danger in putting up a list like this because we'll instantaneously start going, okay, good deeds, tick. Generosity, tick. Um, I'm not very loving, but I'm not bad on the kindness, so tick. And we start letting ourselves off on some of the things that are up here. And I'd want to challenge that. Because Jesus in the parable said, the good soil are those that hear, retain, and persevere in what they've heard. And that should prompt us to be people, be Christians, who want to display fruitfulness in all the areas. Not instantaneously, because as I said, it's over a lifetime, but we should want to grow in all these areas, even the things we'd prefer to avoid because they make us uncomfortable. So please don't start just ticking off the list, okay? And in case it sounds too difficult and too costly, I think Luke gives us the first three verses to kind of set the context and call us out on this. Because we read there, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And there are various reasons for Jesus, for Luke including this. First of all, clearly he wants us to see that the invitation to follow Jesus is there for everyone, man and woman. That there's, there's no favorites, there's no hierarchy, everyone is equal under God and invited to follow Jesus. And that would have been controversial in Jesus' day because only men could follow rabbis. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the kingdom is open for all because he values and loves all equally. But secondly, and more to the fore of probably the reasons here, are that these women have benefited from the teaching and ministry of Jesus. They're all healed, either spiritually or physically. And so out of that, they do the unthinkable. They sacrificially follow Jesus. They give up well-defined social circles and expectations and duties and the box that people have them in to follow Jesus. And they do so sacrificially, giving of themselves their time and their resources. These women are held up here as more of an example to emulate than the disciples are so far. The guys have not hit the standard. 
but the women have. And we have to emulate their example. And so that list, it was like, oh, this is way too daunting. These women are held up as to call us out, to say, here are people who gave up expectations, who gave up commitments and comforts so as to follow Jesus in a sacrificial way. They did it. You can do it if you are but willing. Because fruitfulness will not come by putting on the cruise control. It will not come by doing what we've always done or what is comfortable. Fruitfulness does not just happen. So how can we become more fruitful? What does it look like to hear and retain and persevere with God's Word? Well, there are literally books written on the subject, and you'll be glad to hear I'm not going to regurgitate a book this morning. And so what I'm going to share with you is just some broad principles and ideas, and, and a few ideas that I've seen people in this congregation put into practice. And, and each idea is linked into the soil type. So soil one was the hard soil, the not receptive soil. And, and it really speaks about openness. How can we be a people who are more open to the Word of God? And you might think, well, I've ticked this box, I'm in church, or I'm tuning in on ho at home. Well, sorry. If the very Word of God made flesh was there amongst people's lives and they were rejecting Him and not open to Him, then don't think just turning up to church means that you're open to the Word of God. Let's not just tick the box. Rather, let me ask you, what is your rhythm at home of reading the Bible? Do you have one? Because that's where it really hits the rubber, to keep using the car analogy. Or when we come to church, do we come expectant to hear from God? And two people come to mind, and I won't name them, but they show me great expectancy in how they come and even before they come. And so one person I can think of, they come with a notepad, ready to take some notes down during the sermon. Because I waffle an awful lot and there's a lot to take in, and maybe you'll just get lost in all the words. And so coming ready to capture that thought, to think, well, oh, that speaks to me. Take it down, take a note. Because by the time you leave that door, you might have forgotten it. Are you coming open and expectant? And another person I can think of, she sends me a written prayer every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning. And has done it throughout lockdown. Every week. Carrying on a ministry she did even before lockdown. And every week in that prayer, in some way or another, is God speak to us, minister to us, meet with us, whether we're online or here in person. Do we have that level of expectancy? Or do we just rock up to church because it's the done thing? Or do we come expectant, expectant to hear from God? Do you pray on your way down? Do you pray as you're getting ready? God, I want to hear from you. I want to meet with you. I'd love to have a church and a family that, and in my own life, have that level of expectancy, that level of openness to the Word of God. Could we nurture that church? Could we nurture a rhythm and an expectancy? Or soil two, the soil that, that struggled to provide for the wheat because it wasn't deep enough. 
And so there was lack of fruitfulness. How can we nurture depth? Well, you could get involved in a fellowship group where you go and you study the scriptures together and you get deep down into them and you share also your life in a fellowship group so you can pray for one another. That's a way to nurture depth. Or maybe later in the week, oh, don't go on yet. Um, Maybe later in the week, you can um, look back over your sermon notes that you took when you came along or go back and listen to the sermon again because it's on our website. Every sermon from the last two and a half years is on the website. Go and have a look. Or do you talk to God about what you take home from a Sunday or what you're reading during the week? Because when you talk to God, you're not just ticking the the, read the Bible box. You're taking it deeper. You're reflecting and you're praying. And these ways get the Word of God deep in our hearts by reflecting on it and by praying it over. It'll help us retain the Word of God. Or the third soil type. Clearly, it was the crowded soil. So, how do we create space? How do we create space? And that's intentionality and priority. And for some of us, that will mean we need to reorder our lives. Most of us prioritize life either on habits we've learned over the years or the most pressing issues facing us just now. And so, quite often, it will be uh, family, work, friends, the house chores, Um, maybe some volunteering, but nowhere in the top five or ten things does time with God feature. But it should. Where do we bring it in? Because often it ends up at the bottom of the list, and well, oh God, there's another day I was too busy, I couldn't fit it in. There's another week, there's another month, there's another year. And so no wonder we lack fruitfulness. No wonder we lack fruitfulness. And at every stage of life, I'm sure that has different pressures. Whether you're in retirement, whether you've got a a family, whether you're busy with a career, whatever it may be, there'll be the different pressures. So what does it look like for you to prioritize Jesus in your life? Maybe we need to say no to more things. I'm I'm sorry, I'm not going to taxi you or the kids or the grandkids as much this week easy for me to say, uh, with a four-year-old. Do we push back against unrealistic work expectations? Do I in church? Do we allow some things to stop in church because we're too busy? How can we be a people who create space through intentionality and priority? space for God to speak. But for some of us, and for some areas of fruitfulness, the issue is not stopping. It is actually starting. And earlier on, I gave that list of fruitfulness, and I just want to pick three from that list. Good deeds, generosity, and sharing our faith. So, good deeds we looked in our last series that one of the meanings of grace is, refers to spiritual gifts. And so we all have spiritual gifts. We all have something given for the mission of the church. So are you serving? Now, you may be at an age and stage of life where being, doing something physical is just not your thing. 
but are you supporting others? Are you praying for others? Others of us are able still to serve very actively. And so my question would be, where is at least one area of church life where you give yourself? Because all of us should have at least one area. And sadly, because not enough of us contribute, or we maybe need to stop more things, there are some people who have so many things that they're doing. So on good deeds, where are you serving the mission of this church? Which is to make Jesus known and help us follow him. Or generosity, are you giving to this church, to the work we do? And if not, because it's very easy to forget to maybe bring something or do it, do it electronically, have you set up a standing order? Do you maybe need to increase your standing order? And as far as sharing our faith goes, what are you doing about these words of Jesus, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations? Are we retaining this, like he says the good soil does, or are we turning away from it and just ignoring this because it's too hard and it's uncomfortable. Now, I don't expect you to go out and talk to the first person you meet on the street. I don't expect that. But how about all of us committing to pray for two local people to come to faith? Two local people so that then they become part of this church family. You can pray for more besides, and I do as well, but I have no expectation of them ever coming here because they're too far away. Who are the two local people you're praying for? Because if you pray for them, eventually you're more likely to invite them to come to church or you invite them to, to come to something or you're likely to share your faith with them or you're going to know them so well that when times are hard, you can share something of your faith. So who are the two people you're going to pray for that are local that you would love to see part of this church family? Because we will not be fruitful if we just put on the cruise control. We will not be fruitful if we do what we've always done. It does not just happen. Friends, the Lord wants us to be fruitful. That's why he gave us this parable. And I pray that no matter the cost, no matter how countercultural it might be and how it might upset the apple cart, may we give ourselves in these ways so that we have the potential of the good soil and might bear fruit that is a hundredfold what has been sown in our lives over the years. I pray it may be so.